Noel Cookman. Let's let's just give it up for Noel. Come on, Noel. Let's see. Well, does anybody love Jesus a whole lot here today? You know, I like you. I was thinking about this morning. I like him, too. You know, my family has to love me, but they don't have to like me. Because sometimes you just put up with people if you love them. But I, I happen to like Jesus, too. I, I enjoy reading uh, articles, uh, scientific articles, and um, about, especially about the universe and astro. Physics, which I have no idea what it's about, but it's, you know, I enjoy reading those articles. I was reading several years ago that they've, they've, uh, most astrophysicists believe that there's something that underlies all of the reality in the universe, and they don't know what it is. As a matter of fact, they don't know what 95, do you know all the, the greatest minds are astrophysicists, you know, right? I mean, these are smart people. Ninety-five percent of the universe they don't have a name for except dark. Did you know that? Yeah. It's dark energy or dark matter. I'm thinking the greatest minds in the world come up with, well, we're not sure. what. Let's call it dark. <laughs> we, but, but they said we're, we're really sure that we can't figure it out. But there's something there's, that underlies the reality, the seen reality of the universe, and even that dark reality of the universe, there's something else that underlies that. That's why I like him. He holds it all together. And he was personified by God himself into a, a little baby in a manger and grew to be a man and went to the cross and now... I am in him and he is in me. It's mind-blowing. I don't think we'll ever really fully comprehend it until we see him face-to-face after this veil of flesh is stripped away. But we can see enough now to behold his glory. We can see enough to know our the riches that we have in Christ. We can see enough. We, we probably see a half a percent of what can be seen in this life. Of the greatness and the glory of Jesus. I really like him. He's, he's above every name. He, there's a lot of names being kicked around today. Muhammad. Uh, there are a lot of names that vie for our attention and our, really our worship, our adoration. But there's only one name that when you pray in that name, God takes attention to it. There's one name. That is above every name. It's above every every situation that we have, every difficulty that we have, every problem, every every. I mean, not just every sin that we've committed or that we have, but His name is has taken away the sin of the world, and now we get to live in Him. He's He's worthy of being loved, and I like Him a whole lot. Anybody else here with me on that this morning? Um, y'all feel like just, you don't have to stand up, but you can, would you sing just a little bit? Can you provide a little rhythm? Get what you, uh, get what my daddy called your ten-stringed instruments, you know. So if, if you, if you need some rhythm, we got it right there. Um, do y'all know this little song? Um, Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Carried, 
buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. Oh, one day he's coming, oh, glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to praise his name. Where's my rhythm now? Each day he's just the same. I'm going to praise him. Look what the Lord has done. One more time to say, look what the Lord has done. Thank you very much. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. I'm going to praise his name. Each day is just the same. Come help me praise him. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. I like phrases like that. Once you see the work that Jesus did, I love to, you know, I don't know. We've sung that song at least 25 years, I think. I Before I knew about the finished work, we were singing that. And uh, I don't know the author, who what, what he or she knew or understood, but I love to to uh, switch the phrases up a little bit when, like, like uh, he will wash away my sins. We say he has washed away my sins. We're not looking forward, hoping for something that's going to happen in the future, but we celebrate what's already been done. And um, and it just it just totally changes the the atmosphere when you sing it like it really is, what the truth really is. Totally changes the mentality. And uh, I don't know about you, but I was tired for years. I was in professional ministry for 25 years. And I really have a heart for pastors. I really love Jeff, but I, I've known Jeff for many, many years before he was a pastor. And, and, uh, and I really have a heart for him because I was one one time. You know, I'm from Texas now. I guess there's reasons I live six states away from where I grew up and uh, and was a pastor. <laughs> God saw fit to ship me halfway across the country. It's harder to find me that way. And um, now I'm just teasing. But um, um, what was I talking about there? I was talking about Jeff. How much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, uh, I love to to uh, to sing the truth and see the atmosphere change when we bring our minds into conformity to what the reality is. It's totally different. I, I strived and worked so hard for so long to uh, I knew that I couldn't work hard enough to be good enough. But there's there's still this underlying motivation that 
that drives you to work and work and perform and perform. And I would hear preachers, and boy, you talk about getting you going. You ever heard a preacher talk about crossing the Jordan River? And boy, they just, they have you on your feet. We're, we're standing at the, at the bank of Jordan River. And is anybody with me in the house today? Say amen. And, and here we are at the, at the River Jordan, and we're getting ready to cross over into the Promised Land. And, boy, they, about an hour and a half later, we're all standing up yelling and screaming, we're going to cross the Jordan River. We're going to stick our feet in the water, and the waters are going to part, and we're going to go to the promised land. We never got to the promised land. <laughs> but but we, we understood that all the, you know, the 12 keys to getting into the promised land, the 12 steps, one of them always had to be write a big check to the preacher. That helped you to, that, that was one of the keys. That was how you're going to cross over. And when all of a sudden all that wonderful preaching made no sense when I realized that he has brought us into the promised land. That's where we live right now. That's, that's, we, we're not waiting to get to the promised land. Oh, sure, when the veil of this flesh is ripped away, we will see him face to face. And we will be uh, forever joined with him in that realm. But we're joined with him right now in spirit. We live. I, I was, um, I, like, I like speaking from the bench over here. I can sit down and relax a little bit. I might just stay here. This is good. I was... Um, I've been in Texas for almost 17 years now, and right after we moved there, uh, we went to a church, a wonderful church, wonderful people, and, you know, they sent out, and I, I applaud this, they were, they were very active, they sent out people to my house, and of course, I've, I was in professional ministry for 25 years, so I know the gig, I know what's going on, and there were three of them, they had a trainee with them, because you always go in two, but if you have a trainee, you know, that makes three. And I could pick out who the trainee was. And they let the trainee practice on me. They didn't know me from Adam. They didn't know if I was saved or, or just who I was. And how many of you have ever heard this? I mean, we've done it before. I think Bill Bright and Campus Crusade came up with this many, many years ago. You talk to people and you say, okay, now I have a question to ask you. If you were to die tonight and you stood before God, how many of you? Been down, down. And you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And most people would say things like, well, you know, I've tried to do good and I've tried to, you know, be a nice person and I've given to this and whatever. And of course, that's that's like they're, they're hoping you'll say that because then they they get into the to the gospel, which is the real gospel. You know, you, you don't you don't get in by works. And it's a good it's a good hook. But um, I was feeling a bit mischievous, which almost never happens to me. And I knew, I knew that they didn't know who in the world I was, and I'm sure I looked like a reprobate. But it was Monday night, you know, the night after Sunday. So they said, if you were to die tonight, and God said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? I said, well, first of all, I've already died. That poor trainee. They, the, the other, the, the leader took over at that point. Let me handle. That. 
I said, first of all, I've already died, so I won't be dying. Thank you very much. Second of all, I already live in heaven, so I'm already there. Next question. And they started mumbling, and I felt bad what I did to those nice people. And I'm a nice guy, really. Come on. And um, they stuttered, stammered, God bless them. And they, you know, to their credit, they, they wanted to know, they wanted to hear me say, that the way and the means by which I got to heaven, however, if I was going there in the future, if I lived there now, it didn't matter at that point. They were, I think they were thoroughly confused. But they just wanted to hear me say, I got there by Jesus. And I strung them on for so long. I was like, you know, I, I just kind of expanded on what I said. And finally, I, I knew they wanted to hear me say Jesus. And I'm happy to say Jesus. I said, yes, it's Jesus. They said, Whew. Thank you very much. Good night. God bless you. I hope you come back and visit the church. And they went and filled out the card and turned it into the pastor. And that guy's crazy, but we think he might be saved. Isn't God good and so so gracious? Um, I have I have so many stories to tell you, and, and so much is going through my mind. But I I want to thank Jeff and Wesley for having us. Uh, I get so inspired when I read your posts on Facebook. This guy just just simply in like one sentence just lays something out there that just just opens your eyes. If you're not his friend on Facebook, just sign up and and uh, and read his stuff. It's a it's a like a one sentence epistle. And it's so encouraging, so encouraging. What a what a communicator you are. What a what a incredible heart. Um, and, um, so I'm happy to be here in the building, uh, that, um, my dad preached in many times. When was this building built? 1974. Thank you. And I've, I've come here a couple of times. They never let me preach here before, but except <laughs> Jeff did. Yeah. But, um, you know, this old song says, Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is How many of you have never heard that one before? Well, why weren't you singing it with me then if you heard it before? I like, I'm not that good. You don't have to just listen to me. Isn't that a beautiful testimony? Sing it with me. Would you? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that we pardon and cleanse within grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. 
that is greater than all our sins. Say that phrase again. Say grace that is greater than all our sins. I love that phrase. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. I know why you weren't singing so much. When you learn the, the grace message, you have to watch what you sing sometimes, don't you? you sometimes you, you sing an old song that sounds real pretty, but it kind of binds you up in either performance or something. So you, you're, you're attentive to the words. You don't want to sing the wrong words. I understand that one. I bet you haven't sung this one in a while. Well, I don't know what Jeff here, maybe you have. Um, An old song that says, I shall know Him. I shall know Him. As redeemed by His side, I will stand. I shall know Him. I shall know Him. By the prince. All the nails in his hand. How many never heard that one before? Here's what happened. Many years ago at, at a big scientific conference, the, the, um, the participants and the speakers were, you know, giving their papers and their lectures. And, and you could just tell that the overwhelming consensus in the room was that it was what we call a materialistic, deterministic worldview. What that means is that there, nothing exists besides material, what you can see, and everything is determined because there is no God. It's basic atheism. And the men and women just felt somehow compelled to rail upon God and the ridiculous, silly idea of God. And right in the middle of the conference, an old gentleman stood up, and everybody knew him as a fairly well-known physicist and I guess he just had all he could take of that and he began to sing this song I shall know him I shall know him as redeemed by his side I shall stand I shall know him I shall Know him by the prince of the nails in his hand. You can learn it. Sing it with me. I shall know him. I shall know him. As redeemed by his side, I will stand. I shall know him. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. I shall know him. I shall know him as redeemed by his side. I will stand. I shall know him. 
nails in his hands. I thank God that we can know him. No other religion offers that. Nobody else says you can know Buddha, you can have a special relationship with him. You can know Muhammad. You can even know Allah. You have to just bow and submit to his will as spoken through the prophet. We have the only thought, the only way of thinking, the only worldview in, in all of history that says where Jesus stood and said, I'm the way. I am the way. I'm not showing you a way. I am the way. And we can know him. We can know him. Not only that, but think about this. I don't know how many times we've talked about this with the brothers, talking about it earlier today. Just think about this for just a, just a moment. We've said how many? 10,000 times. Where two or three are gathered in his midst, there he is, and there he is with them in their midst. Two or three are gathered in his name. The apostles talked like like that after Jesus had ascended. Paul talked like that, like it was just, when you gather, he said, and the Lord is among you. <laughs> when you get together on the Lord's day or whenever you get together and the Lord is among you, the Lord is with you. And go, he goes on to say something else. It's like a, it's not an afterthought so much as it is an assumption. When you gather and the Lord is with you. In one occasion, he said, discipline that, that guy who's in sexual immorality. But he just knew when they, when, when they gathered together, the Lord was with them. Jesus is here. And our, our job is to recognize what already exists. Our job is to have spiritual eyes to see what the natural cannot see. We're not trying to get God to show up. God's trying to get our eyes open to see that He showed up. He was here before you got here. He came with you. I, I raised a lot of ire. And if you don't want your ire raised, don't be my Facebook friend. You probably don't, won't survive that. Besides a visit from the NSA, you might just get offended. But I offended some people one day. I said, only, only a group like this will understand what I mean. Somebody said, or I said, I'm not a Christ follower. Christ is a Noel follower. I will be with you to the end of the age, Jesus said. He didn't say... Boy, you better be with me. He said, I will be with you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. He is goodness and He is mercy. He's, he's, he's not so much following me as He's in me. When I go somewhere, the presence of the Lord is there. I just have to begin to be aware of it and to open my eyes and see what it, it really is. It's not magic trick, people. It's not psycho babble. Let's, let's all just imagine what it would be like if. 
let's all pretend like Jesus was here. No. Paul said, Father, I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be open so they could see the glorious inheritance that's in the saints. Mm. John said, when we see him, you'll be like him. Kind of puts a new wrinkle on behavior modification in the church. (laughs) We've got 14 manuals. God bless Tammy Shiver. She helped me write. How many? About that thick in manuals on discipleship and and leadership and well, we worked hard to get people to be like Jesus. I was a miserable failure at it, and so but I uh, so I started teaching it. Figure out if I could get it in a book, you know, get it in an outline, get it in three points. Tammy, you did an awesome job. I think there's some good stuff in that, in that, those books. What were they called? World Changers University or something like that? We had levels, buddy. We had levels. You start at one, buddy. You work out to three. And it was right under our noses the whole time. I shall know him. I shall know Him As redeemed by His side I will stand I shall know Him I shall know Him John said, when you see Him, you will be like Him. No level one, two, and three? When you see him, you shall be like him. Am I, am I confused about that? Is that in the Bible? Somebody get your phone out and look it up in your Bible app and see. Search, see and like him. See if it's in there. When you see him, you will be like him. Put me out of business, people. By the prince of the nails in his hand. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we're nothing without you. And as I'm going to read in just a moment, we can understand nothing without you. We can have nothing of God Without you revealing it to us. Deliver us for the moment at least. And deliver us going forward of our natural thinking. And the bondage that we've created for ourselves to try to understand in our natural way. The things of the spirit. And open our eyes to see. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Do you, do you sense and believe and are you aware that he's with us? 
He's with us. He's right here. I um, I feel like I want to uh, just talk about death today. I'm in the mortgage business back in Texas. Does anybody know Latin? Do you know what M-O-R-T means in Latin? Mortuary. Mortician. Mortality. Mortgages. They don't make TV shows about us. Detectives, murderers, and lawyers, they make TV shows about you guys, but not about us. We deal in death. Not very exciting in the natural. But if we see what death really is and what... Let me put it this way. How much more could you enjoy life, or as we say in Texas, life? How much could you enjoy life? If you knew you weren't going to die. The writer of Hebrews says it's appointed unto man once to die. You've got one appointment. There's a second death, but you don't have an appointment with that one. You can die twice, but you only have one appointment with death. And the good news is that your death is already behind you. <laughs> Deliverance from the fear of death is, has nothing to do with overcoming a fear. Like, what was, were you talking about jumping in the pool? Uh, and over, they said you overcome the fear of water. No, he just was jumping into his father's arms and he knew his father would catch him every time. He hadn't overcome his fear of water. He just knew what the end result was. So over, uh, uh, being delivered from the fear of death has nothing to do with you being bold and courageous and I, I can face death. And No. It, once you understand that your death is behind you and you have no death in front of you, there's nothing to fear. That's the deliverance from the fear of death. You only die one time and get and, and the wild thing is somebody did it for you. You didn't even have to do it yourself. Somebody took you under his wings and took you with himself on a cross and died and Paul says if one died all died. He saw Jesus dying, and he knew at that point, and they didn't know when Jesus said it, because Jesus was speaking mysteries, you know that. And the New Covenant doesn't start Matthew 1.1. New Covenant starts at the cross, kind of at the end of the Gospels. So, so it, we... We're gathered with him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And we think, well, so we used to sing it back in the charismaniac days. Lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus. And so he explained to me, he was talking about being lifted up on the cross. I'm like, oh, lift Jesus higher. Like, crucify Jesus. We, we stopped clapping our hands and smiling. And But... 
I, I didn't know that until they explained it to me. Jesus was speaking of, even though it's clear, he was speaking of the cross. He's like, if I am lifted up on the cross, he didn't say I will magnetize everyone to me because they'll look at me and feel compassion and pity on me and say, what an awesome hero he was. He died. No. It says he will draw all men into, I will draw all men into me. Do you, do you understand what he said? I will draw all men. He reached back on the cross to the first Adam and he reached ahead to the future to the last human being ever to be born. And he became then the last Adam and he drew all of them into himself. I'm getting ahead of myself here because that's like time travel. That's like, um, wait a minute. That's how do you do that? That's why it says only the spirit. You can only see this by the the spirit. It is not naturally making any sense. I mean, it's a good TV show. It's good sci-fi. But how he reached at, and he gathered all, he said, all men. That's why the Calvinists miss it by a billion miles. I will draw all men into me. Why? Because when he died, if one died, all died. My friends, your death is behind you. You don't have to look forward to death. I mean, think about it. Walk out in the street there, get hit by a bus. We think he died. And you think, close my eyes one minute, the next moment, nanosecond later, I'm face to face with Jesus. You didn't die. The, the apostle didn't say they, they would die. They said they would depart. Am I, do I have that right? I don't know the Bible as good as you guys do, so you correct me if I'm wrong. But he said... The, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm dying. Y'all come see me. The time of my departure. I don't know whether to depart or stay here. Uh, I'll stay here. No, I'm going to depart. No, I'm going to stay here for your sake. Good grief, I can't make up my mind. I'm going to depart. I'm going to stay here. What am I going to do? Does that sound like somebody's afraid to die? And and I, I'm, I'm telling you, he didn't die in a bed of comfort. We don't know how Paul died, for sure. Some think he was beheaded, killed by uh, the Romans in Rome. But he, he was he didn't have to look forward to death. I better start preaching before I say some silly stuff here. I have glasses. Where did I leave my glasses? Thank you. There they are. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then I'm going to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter um Well, I might jump there in just a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, this, this, I was always intrigued by this, and it was inspirational to me. Uh, 
And I, brethren, verse 1, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's rolled over in my mind many, many times over the last many years. What, what was he talking about? Why, and, and Paul was well-read, well-educated. Was he just, what was he doing? Was he so into that sermon series he was doing that he couldn't read another book? Or what, you know, what was he doing? What did he mean? When I was with you, I, I decided that I would know nothing except Christ. Not just Christ, but Christ crucified. And then he's really, in, in chapter 2, Paul's not, doesn't get, well, it's actually awesome theology, but he doesn't get so much into the work of Christ as he does talk about how we understand what God has done. How, how are you going to comprehend what God has done? Before we talk about what God has done, how in the world are you going to get it? Because these things, well, let me just read what he said. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. Look at the, the comparison between the two. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now, this next verse blows my mind. Seven, verse seven again. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, and you've already been told mystery was a was a universe altering, world changing reality and truth that for other reasons could not be told, so it had to remain hidden for ages. So much so that the greatest of the prophets didn't they, they saw a type and a shadow but they did not see it. Elijah and Elisha didn't see it. David, I mean, you can call he's, he's a man after God's heart, but David didn't see it. Not fully. It was hidden. And then look at verse number eight. Paul says, here's, here's, here's the reality, which none, this wisdom, this mystery, hidden wisdom, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And I've wondered many times, what is it that if they had known this, they would have held back and would not have crucified Jesus? He said if they would, if they would have seen this, I do not believe, and I think that, that uh, the facts will bear it out, and I think the scriptures will bear it out. I don't believe that what he's saying is that had they seen it, they would have become a believer, and they would have accepted Jesus and therefore not crucified him. That's not what he's saying. This is totally unrelated to what one man or another would see after the cross and believe or not believe on Jesus. 
there was something that had it been revealed. If you read the Gospels again, you have to. Some, I had to read them again and again to see things that I had missed before, and I, I noticed how many times Jesus would say something like, "I can't really tell you." anything more deep than what I've just said. I have to speak in parables. And the writer, uh, the writers later looking back said he had to speak in parables to them. He didn't tell them the mystery. He didn't tell them the, the gospel. Not that we hear and preach and know today. Well, he did because he said, here I am. That's the beginning and the end of it. But he didn't tell them the mystery of what would happen when he went to the cross. And this is such a powerful mystery that the rulers of the world, which I believe to be, and in, in, uh, the theologians amongst us can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe to be both the human rulers of the world and the demonic rulers in the world, had they seen this, oh, God's so awesome, he hid it from them. He didn't let them see it. Because if they'd have seen what was about to be turned loose in the universe when Jesus would say, it is finished, they would never have crucified him. And I want to tell you, it's my great joy to tell you some of the reasons why. Some of the part of, the part of that mystery that... Hell would have held them back, and they just said, oh, th there's no way we can crucify this man. Because if we crucify this man, I'm not going to tell you right yet. Let me just tell you. The, one of the reasons, and this is like point number five or six, whatever. Do you, they asked me if I had my PowerPoints together. You better believe i got some PowerPoints here. You just get your notepad out and write them down. These are powerful points. The How many of you are with me here this morning? All right. The rulers of this world thrive in an environment of judgment. Without it, they're out of business. Intimidation Comparison, power over you, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a family network of relationships, wherever it is, the rulers of this world are out of business if judgment disappears. They have no power. They cannot control. Think about our current political situation in the country. The powers that be. If no one was afraid of judgment of the 315 million American citizens, if no one was afraid of judgment, do you think things would be just a little bit different? The, 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 the levers of power would work just a little bit differently because nobody could hold anything over you. Nobody could sneak up behind you and say, oh, we, we've got a videotape of you. We got you on audio tape. They thrive on judgment. And 
And had they known that all of their power would just dissipate, just like that, they would have no power. That's why Satan deceives. He, had, he and his minions and the world has no real functional power to judge and to hold anything over anybody. So they have to deceive people and create an illusion in their minds that they are under judgment. That's why it hurts so much to see God's people not understand their release from judgment. I can understand the world feeling the judgment, but why should any child of God feel the judgment? They've lost control. I'm going to back up just a little bit here. And and let me just... I, I've done church work. My dad was a preacher. Grew up in church. I was a professional minister. Don't say it. You weren't very professional. <laughs> but I tried on occasion. And... Um, So I know I know the church gig pretty well. I've kind of lost touch with stuff that's going on in Dallas in the last several years in the whole country. It's a different world, but I still I still know the church gig. And um, I I know what it's like to try to encourage myself or to reprogram my mind. You see, we used to tell young people, what you've got to do is to improve your self-esteem, you've got to quote to yourself scriptures like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I can do all things through Christ. And that's not bad. It's not as if that's going to hurt you or harm you. But if I can say it this way, you understanding God's grace and God's love in your life will be a mind game until you understand what happened on the cross to make it possible. And you will have to strive and you will have to do some psychology to help you understand these things. And it will be a lifelong journey which you will never quite finish if you don't see what happened on the cross. Once you see what happened on the cross, you will, you will believe God's love just like that. It's not a struggle. You will believe God's grace for you. You will believe the remission of sins just like that. Once we understand, but until we understand what really went on on the cross, what really happened, as my dad used to say, what's happening is not what's going on. What's happening was Jesus was dying on the cross. What's happening was Mel Gibson made an awesome movie that made a lot of people cry and feel guilty. We had one guy in Houston, Texas, came out of the movie theater and confessed to killing his girlfriend just days before that. And, and which I'm glad they, you know, whatever happened with that happened, but, uh, or that he turned himself in, but, but what, what, what was happening in the natural is that a man was being beaten and torn apart and, and being killed and a spear thrust in his side, nails in his hands and in his feet, and him breathing his last, and everybody could see that. That's what was happening. But what was going on was something that would the, the rulers of the world would have stopped the whole thing had they known this was going to happen. 
Oh, Jesus is so wonderful. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid it all. Jesus. Thank you for being here. So, let's, let's not, if you're struggling to convince yourself on the righteousness of God in Christ, and you know, God has forgiven me, God really loves me. See, it's one thing to say God loves me. It's another thing to feel loved. So let's, let's stop that today. And it's so simple. It's seeing what happened. For instance, if I can jump ahead for a second. What's the secret to seeing that you're not judged? Do you, do you ever feel compared by other people? You feel like. You're, I mean, the, the whole, what did I say? Uh, the, the whole world operates under this judgment, under comparison. What would it be like if you never felt that again? You're never going to feel that again. Because there is a release from that sense of comparison and that sense of judgment. Once you understand that your judgment is finished, it was taken. Someone else in your place was judged fully. There's not an ounce of judgment left for you. Now, we don't have to pace the floor. I'm not under judgment. I'm not under comparison. I'm not comparing myself to any kind of self-talk. You know, self-talk. We're going to get it. We're going to get our minds right. Yes. Conform our minds to the reality. But to struggle to do it. You'll always struggle to do it until you see what really happened on the cross. So, what happened on the cross? Number one, Jesus died for you. Well, everybody in the Sunday school knows that. Jesus died for your sin. Now, all I want to say here, because there's probably not too many people that are here that are not in Christ already, so I'm kind of talking to the world, but this is this is pretty important because the world thinks that they don't have a sin problem. The world thinks, that's why it takes a special activity of God, the Holy Spirit, to convince the world that you have a sin problem. And the sin problem has to do with one thing, you don't believe on Jesus. But without that, because Oprah Winfrey's not going to tell you you got a sin problem. Excuse me, I... Quit preaching, going to meddling there. But the world is not going to tell you you've got a sin problem. So it takes the Holy Spirit to say, waken up your heart and you've, you've not believed on the Son. You haven't believed on Jesus. You've got something that separates you, that keeps you from fellowship and keeps you from righteousness before God. Then they may feel guilty. What do I do? Well, they, God's got them right where he wants them. What do I do? If they do the right thing, if they believe on the one and only, then they're right where God wants them. But first of all, what was happening on the cross was Jesus was dying for our sins. Number two, because I've got to hurry here. He died I love this. I got this from Scotty Todd. I'm sure David said it a million times, too. Scotty used to say, 
You know, Billy Graham is so awesome. He's one of, uh, I, I remember myself when I was 12 years old, just listening to Billy Graham, just crying. I'd, get, I'd go to bed on Sunday night, dear God, please bless Billy Graham. And I love him. I, I thank God for Billy Graham. Awesome. Scotty used to say, Billy Graham has taught the world Jesus died for you. But the gospel also says Jesus died as you. Now, that changed my mind. I mean, that changed my life when, when I heard Scotty say that, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Jesus didn't die, just die for you. He died as you. He was there. And so tandem with that is this reality that we died with him. We were taken with him on the cross. And when he died, we died. Second Corinthians 5, 14 says, when, because one died, therefore all died. How does that happen? It happens because of the spiritual reality that Jesus took us into himself. And when he breathed his last and he, and he said, it is finished, we died with him. See, not only that, not only did he die but he died as us, but he died as sin. The Bible says that God laid upon Christ the sin of the world. So that he became sin. So that it wasn't just a man being nailed to the tree. It was sin itself. Sin, S-I-N, not sins. But sin itself was nailed to the tree. And no longer has dominion because what was really going on behind what was happening is that sin in Christ, Christ becoming sin, breathed his last and therefore... How, how does God just say, I'm not going to count these sins against you? You see, if Jesus just died for you, he could still count your sins against you. I mean, if I do something for James, I might say, James, I did this for you. Pony up. I did something for you. And I'll always remind you. I, I saved your life. Remember that episode in Andy Griffith where... Um, Goober saved Andy's life, so he owes him his life, and so he's following him around. And finally, Andy cooks up the deal where he saves Goober's life. So now, you know, he, he, Goober was just bugging Andy, and and so it's it's all it, it, it's all it's all wrapped up in this one thing. If I do something for you, if I die for you, or if I risk my life for you, or I almost die for you, hey. Here's my, here's my best friend, Jeff. Uh, by the way, I almost died for him. He was in a car that was burning, and I dragged him out and saved his life. And I uh, just want you to know that. See, I did something for him, but I can always remind him that he was in that burning car. I can always remind him of what I did for him. I can always remind him of the mess that he was in when I found him. But if Jesus died as sin itself... If Jesus died as that offense that got you in that big mess, there's no more reminder. There's no other way for God to know about, to remember, to recall, and to bring it up and say, I died for you, but that's the message of the, uh, of the church for decades. Uh, Jesus died for us, now we owe, uh, we owe everything to him. 
You got to be careful there. Yes, there's a there's a we're, our our debt is to the world, not to God. Paul said, "I'm indebted to the world to tell them this good news." So yes, there's a sense of, boy, I've been forgiven of much. Now my debt is to the world. But we have we have turned it around, or we did for years. Is how we motivated people in the church. Look what Jesus did for you. Now can't you come Saturday and help pick up trash around the church? Can't you sign up to be a Sunday school teacher? Look what Jesus did for you. Look, he's on the cross. Look, he, he was spat upon. He was beaten. He had a crown of thorns on his head. He, he took nails in his, in his hands and feet and the spear in his side. Look what Jesus did for you. Now, we need Royal Ranger leaders. What, surely, after all, Jesus did for you. Surely, you're, you're not going to turn him down. I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the natural mentality. That's why Paul starts off with the Corinthians. You can't understand these things in the natural. If you do, that's the kind of mess you, you start preaching. <laughs> Look what Jesus did. Now, what are you going to do? Am I clear? Can I move on? So... If Jesus just died for us, he didn't necessarily have to forget sin. But the reason he is able to forget sin is because he became sin, and that's what died on the cross. Not just a human being, but sin itself died on the cross and came to an end on the cross. He died as sin itself. The other thing God was doing on the cross, he was reconciling the world to himself. Through what Jesus did, Second Corinthians 5, if you ever need a verse, I mean, this is what I think, because it just so rocked my world and changed me. If you ever need one verse, if somebody says, what is the gospel, give them Second Corinthians 5.19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them. Now, you have to get into... The burial of Jesus. You know, the apostles preached the death, burial, and resurrection. Not the death and resurrection, resurrection, but the death, burial, and resurrection. Because when he was buried, he took sins as far as the east is from the west. It's a great mystery. Where did he take those sins? Um, I had to have James explain it to him. I said, James, where, where in the world did, like, that, like the goat that went out in the wilderness... They never saw that goat again. Where did it go? It was a picture of what would happen. It didn't just poof, disappear. Jesus took them. He took them someplace. He took our sins far away. I don't understand it. And I know that, uh, that sin is not a, is not a physical um, uh, entity, but it's an offense against God. And, but somehow this lamb took those sins, and he carried them far away, and only because of that, only because of never having sins counted against us, then we become reconciled to God. Which means, that's, a, that's kind of like a, another way of saying we're in perfect union with God. So that when you come together, Jesus is with you. Of course he's with you. He's in you. That's another way of saying you don't have to come and sort of sing and dance, you know, till you feel Jesus. 
You don't have to come in and confess your sins, like I used to tell people. Before we worship, let's get our lives cleaned up. Because, you know, you just don't want any broken brokenness between you and God. So we start worship off with prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sins. And, you, I mean, come on, folks. You can't get through the first verse without committing another sin if you're, if you're thinking that way. So it, it totally changes your perspective, doesn't it? Totally changes how you view yourself and how, how you come before the Lord, how you fellowship with the saints, because we've been reconciled to God. That's what Jesus did on the cross. God stopped counting men's sins against them. I, I have in my notes here, that's a barn burner. Because that tears up everything. Whenever, whenever no one can remind you of your sins again, you are automatically delivered from, a, a, from that atmosphere of judgment. You can live in an atmosphere of judgment if you don't participate at work, in your family. As long as you don't participate, you can survive and even thrive. I, I kind of enjoy it myself to watch other people try to judge. Like if I go to parties and um, like an open house or something like that and we're standing around, there's a lot of people. I can see the comparison and the judgment. And sometimes I like to just watch and just enjoy my liberty and freedom in Christ knowing that I don't have to impress anybody i don't have to i don't have to earn their approval oftentimes i'll stand in the room and i'll say you know if every person in this room rejected me what would i really feel like if every person that would cost me some money because they're my clients you know and, but um i wouldn't feel very rich but i would feel what would i feel and that's, that, that's a good exercise. What, what would happen if you had nobody in the world to affirm you? And I don't believe that that's God's intention. I think God's intention is clearly in the body. I mean, there's so much said in the New Testament about encouraging one another and being there for one another, bearing one another's burdens, and basically affirming, speaking truth to one another so that when, when we talk, We've built that. That person now is encouraged in Christ, in faith. They see themselves. So I don't think that's God's intention. But I often ask myself, if I had no affirmation from any human being, what would I feel like? And that's when I begin to think about what Jesus did for me. God, God loves me. I know it because I know what he did on the cross. I know he took all the judgment from my sins. Uh, God poured upon Jesus all of the wrath that had built up and would ever be built up. And he poured it upon Jesus so that there was not a drop left for you or me. When, once I remind myself of that reality, then I can't, I'm, I can't feel judgment. I can't feel comparison. It doesn't matter. Now, that might be partly due to I'm getting old and I just don't care what you think anymore. 
But I, I think that it has more to do with the, the understanding of what Jesus did, and he took all the judgment. So there's not a bit left for me. You can have it all you want, but it's, none of it's getting on me. So God judged Christ on the cross. God was judging him. When you see Mel Gibson's movie again, if you ever do, my, my wife and I came out rejoicing. We came out because we saw beyond what was happening physically to Jesus. And I'm glad they showed it. I'm glad he made the movie. But if you don't see what's happening, you come out, oh, man, that's horrible. What can I go do for Jesus now? Look what he did for me. We came out rejoicing because we saw just <laughs> the reality behind it. God was judging him. It's done. It's finished. God did it. We saw a, Mel Gibson's uh, 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 picture of it there. But that's exactly what, and it, and it ended when the last drop of judgment was poured upon him. I don't find any indication anywhere that God reserves some judgment. He poured it all upon Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. As long as Romans 6.14 says, as long as you're alive, and I'm going to close with this. I think I am. One preacher's kid asked his daddy, or asked his mommy, says, what does enclosing mean? Mommy said, absolutely nothing. But Paul says, if you're alive, as long as you live, sin has dominion over you. You've got to understand, we're not talking about you right now because you're in Christ. But he's talking to man without Christ. As long as you live, sin has dominion over you. We're not under the law, but we're not under the law because the law began and ended anyway. We're not Jews. We weren't born between the giving of the law and the end of the law on the cross. But Paul says that doesn't matter because sin still reigned before the law, during the law, after the law. So sin has dominion over you as long as you're alive. So the only solution, you're going to be so excited about death. When somebody calls you here at the kind of just say, I'm at the Grace Conference. I'm at God's Not Angry Conference. I'm learning all about death. This is awesome. Get on over here and learn about death. You're never going to be so excited about death. Because as long as you're alive, Paul said, sin has dominion over you. So what's the simple solution? Now, here's where you can use a little bit of logic. Simple solution is to die. So if one died, we all died. Now, sin, Paul said, has no more dominion over you. What that means is, it doesn't mean you don't fall prey to the acts of the flesh or that you don't sin in that sense or commit some um, uh, fleshly act. It means that you can never be judged for that. Now, this is where the... Even today, we get in trouble, but the early church got in trouble for it, uh, in trouble from the legalists. Said, you're, you're preaching that we can sin. 
No, we're preaching that you, you can sin and not be under God's judgment. You'll be under a judgment of your physical body, you know, if you depend on what you do. But you're, you're not brought under judgment by God. Now that turns heads in the church world. That gets you in trouble. That, I believe, is what, when Paul said, pray that I have boldness to preach this, that's what he was talking about. Because that's a total release from judgment, and you catch all kinds of grief from religion when you say that you are now not under the dominion of sin. Sin cannot judge you anymore. No wonder they said, oh, you're saying we can sin. No, Paul's real clear about that. When you sin, you have no judge over that sin because it's already been judged. You are free from that judgment. I'm sorry, people, but that's what it says. So... I mean, you take it for, you know, sort it out in your own mind, but um, make sure it's your spiritual mind, not your carnal mind, because it won't make sense in your carnal mind. Jesus has delivered you already. Jesus, thank you for being here. Thank you for rising up in our midst. Would you like to stand up for just a minute? And let's just be aware of him amongst us. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Thank you for being so good. I used to think that was such a silly song, so simple. Thank you, Jesus, for being good. Sounds so childish. Yes, it does sound childish, doesn't it? Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Jesus, we just want to thank you. Thank you for being so good. The Holy Spirit, by the power that you Manifest in the name of Jesus. Would you manifest yourself, your healing, your therapy, your peace right now while you're with us? Would you just reach and touch your people? Holy Spirit, thank you. Making Jesus so visible to our spiritual eyes, making Jesus manifest in our midst today. Thank you, Lord. If you need healing today, the healer's in the house. 
you need peace today, the therapist is in the house. If you're going through a difficulty and your mind is confused and you've been buffeted, like Paul talked about being buffeted, torn apart, you feel like your life is falling apart. You feel like your relationships are falling apart. You feel like nothing's coming together for you. Your job is a dead end. Maybe you lost your job. You can't seem to get it together. The organizer is in the house. The administrator is in the house. The one who makes it all right is in the house. He's going to give you a peace on the inside. Jesus, we thank you. How many of you need prayer for healing today? You're sick in your body and you need a healing touch from Jesus. Raise your hand because I want to pray for you. If you're sick in the house today, thanks. Thanks. Can you, um, can, is there any way you guys can come down here and uh, so we can, I can pray for you instead of me trying to walk around and, and that sort of thing? I believe in the touch, not my touch, but the Master's touch. James, t- uh, tell them what we were talking about before, about Peter, when he performed that miracle. Tell them about that, what you're telling me. Yeah. In the book of Acts, Peter laid his hands on a man and was healed. And the people around Peter said, he must be a god. And they were like amazed at Peter. And Peter said, he said, he was shocked. He said, do you think by some holiness of, of mine or some piousness of mine This man stands healed before you. He said, this man is healed because of the name of Jesus and faith in that name, faith in him. And Peter was so convinced that he had nothing to do with it. He he was shocked. He goes, do you think by some holiness that I have? No, because of this one, Jesus, this man is healed before your eyes. Brothers, just lay hands on those that are standing around here. Let's touch them, because Jesus touched them. It's not our touch, it's Jesus' touch. Peace, peace, wonderful peace, rising up from the Spirit. Within Sweep over this place Forever Lord In your fathomless Billows of love 
If you need a touch in your mind, if you need a touch to, because of the confusion in your mind is run rampant, I want you to come down here. Just let us touch you on behalf of Jesus. Or just as Jesus is touching you right now. Thank you, Lord. Coming up from the Spirit within. Sweep over my spirit forever. I pray in fathomless billows of love. Thank you, Lord, for healing in your touch. Bless you, Lord. I know you, Lord. I see you, Lord. Lifted high. Thank you, Lord. Walking among your people. Rising up within us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your touch. Bless the Lord. Wesley or Jeff, whoever. Oh, praise God. Praise God. He is awesome. Noel, thank you for that.